and brightest day and blackest night. All other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast, episode five twenty nine. Woohoo! <laughs> no, I, I'd be surprised if this is a woohoo. Oh man! Um, all right, we're talking about a bunch of stuff tonight. Last of which we will be getting to Superman issue two forty seven uh, for a segment that uh, a new segment will be starting on the show or a new a new series or whatever. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to start elsewhere before we get to the main event. So where are we starting tonight? I like when you say that when you had the when you really had the list. But I believe we decided we were doing Sinestro first, right? <laughs> right. That's Am I right. That's, that's that's correct. Uh, you know, hey man, it's it's uh, <laughs> we're trying we're trying to spin a spin a narrative here, man. Spin a weave. We can't just be like. I'm, I'm trying to pitch back and forth. This is this is what people do. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> so we're gonna so ever so briefly we're gonna talk, which is even more timely now since it just came. It, when the hell did they release that last week, right? And the last week, um, what the, that it was available for pre-order or they announced it? Yeah, yeah, for pre-order. Unless it was Monday. Uh, I don't remember honestly. I could tell you in a second because of the fact that I pre-ordered it. But we're talking about the. McFarlane collectors, whatever they call it, version of their figures, and they have Sinestro and fi- and Sinestro and Sinestro Corps uniform, which was which was something people really really wanted. <laughs> now I yeah. I yeah I mean I don't necessarily know they're gonna think they're gonna want this one as far as what they got. I still think it's I am I have my concerns about this figure. I think that I think that it's uh. The costume looks fine. They're obviously continuing the texture approach that they did with all those 35,000 Kyles we got. That was last year, right? I believe so, yeah. It's it's hard to know. It, it seems, it, it's, it, it's, all a, it's all a blur at this point. Uh, but that the, the Sinestro Core, Sinestro, or Sinestro Core War, I think technically, is how they label it, Sinestro figure. Now, my concern with this is, I, when did, I know I ordered it. I'm... I'm I'm just trying to see if it tells me what date I ordered it. My concern really with this figure is the fact that I think I ordered it in the 25th. So that was last week. It's like the ever, the ever decreasing size of Sinestro's head. <laughs> We've gone for this ridiculously bulbous, oversized, silver age, though accurate representation in figures to it's been getting smaller and getting smaller and getting smaller. Where now it's almost like other than having a weird haircut and pointy ears, it's almost like his head's no not a different shape at all and don't get me wrong i i i kind of i think they hit a happy medium somewhere post probably even post rebirth and the van skyver look kind of like after that i think they probably maybe 
maybe the monkey look or, or it's somewhere in that time frame. But I think what they've done in with this figure is I think it's a little too extreme as far as shrinking it. The color, the, I mean, the colors, I think the color is accurate. It just seems weird because it's maybe it's a little more pinkish than we're, than we're kind of used to. But, and of course the, the translucent battery, which neither one of us likes at all. But that's it. That's an ongoing thing with all the McFarlane Green Lantern figures, as if the power battery was a construct, which of course it's not. So, but those were my initial thoughts. I did order it. I did order it. But how much was it? Big Bad had it for I believe twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah. See, been. this McFarlane Collector Edition line. I don't. I don't know what's going on with it because it seems like an excuse to charge more money. The the yeah. only. The only thing that's really different about this is that they're including a stand and the stand isn't even for the figure. It's for the fucking card. Which is ridiculous to me because I don't care about this massive hunk of plastic just to display the card. I'm not seeing anything with the Sinestro figure that wouldn't be normally included with the regular versions of these, whether it be gold label or, or just regular releases, because it's the same, you know, I'm seeing the same types of constructs or at least around the same size of constructs for like the Kyle figures and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, the Sinestro core Batman and stuff like that. And then they all come with a power battery too, anyways, for the most part, uh, the card is always just kind of on the back uh, of the card stock of the, the thing. So the only addition here that they're making to this quote unquote collector edition wave is the stand they're including for the card. And that's not worth anything to me. I don't know that it's worth anything to anybody. If anybody would want like a really cool stand for the figure, because this is like an elevated stand, you would think it would be for the figure. Right. Why, why are you making a card for a stand for the card? Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. What's also interesting about this, even though I don't know, it could just be a standard definite a standard write up that they use. Because but if I'm looking at the and I'm guessing that's what it is, because we haven't seen anything leak about this, even unless the Sinestro in his classic uniform is the answer to this question. But if you read the description on Entertainment Earth, they talk about they they make it sound like there is a chase figure, a variant of this. Uh, so, but I, we haven't seen any pictures of what it would be unless the variant happens to be Sinestro in his classic blue uniform. And that would be the chase. So I'm kind of suspecting there isn't a chase and that's just a standard write up, but it is interesting that I just noticed that on entertainment earth, which does have it for the same price. So this is, if there's a chase figure for collector's edition lines, then there would have to be a chase figure for the Alan Scott thing for it to make sense too. Also, the other figure from this recently announced wave I'm th- I, I'm, I would be interested in, which is Firestorm from Crisis. Uh, I mean, Firestorm has a little bit more because he's got every time you have a Firestorm figure, for some fucking reason, you have to have a bunch of different hands. I I don't know why. Whatever. Uh, so he's got a bunch of different hand pieces and stuff. But he, too, is a collector's edition that has this ridiculous stand for this card, as does the Alan Scott thing that recently came out. So. I, I don't know. Like if it, I, I could almost understand the upcharge if you're going to start including chase figures in, in a way, but as they stand, uh, you know, pun yes. intended, I guess the stand, the stand for the figure for the card makes zero sense. Yeah, I agree. Plus to be perfectly honest, the stands, the stands for these McFarlane figures aren't that, aren't that great anyway. No, they're not. They need, 
they've they really need to go back old school where they have two they have pegs for both feet mm-hmm. uh, especially because we know the ankle joints over time just get weak and which is another problem with the massive articulation maybe honestly what they just need to do is make slightly less articulation in the ankles and make them sturdier so you don't have that problem where your figure will gradually over time end up either tilting backwards or tilting forwards and potentially falling either direction. But yeah, I, again, I honestly don't necessarily know if this is a better sculpt than the Sinestro core Batman they just released, but I got it just because I wanted to, because it is pretty cool. And mm-hmm. I do have most Sinestro, most Sinestro core Batman, uh, Sinestros that they've released and trying to support the lanterns. And then we'll, and hoping that, Somewhere down the road, we're going to actually get maybe a heaven forbid. We even though I can only imagine how but how much they would butcher uh, a McFarlane St. Walker, in all honesty. Yeah. So, you well, know what they would probably do? They probably would make it look exactly like Doug, like Doug Monkey stuff when Doug Monkey couldn't draw St. Walker to save his life. That's probably what the McFarlane would do. Maybe I'm hoping for a little bit more. I mean, I, I'm I was. I've been really impressed by the classic Kyle, the Blue Lantern Kyle, and the Sinestro Corps Batman. Um, I've always also very impressed by Deathstorm, I believe. Yes, and, Deathstorm's a winner. And despite despite his um, you know kind of bulkiness and everything, and the fact that his uh, kind of um, the armored shoulder pieces around him, the build a figure Atrocitus is also very cool. Um, I thought he was very well done. Um, so there's that. As far as Sinestro figures go, you know, you were kind enough several years ago to give me your extra, um, you know, um, Sinestro on the on the card for the old DC Direct one that came out back around what Sinestro Core War. Yes. Came with a uh, Despotellus. But I think the most recent Sinestro Sinestro Core figure I bought was the DC Essentials one that was Yellow Lantern Sinestro. It was uh, it was literally just Sinestro. There was no there's no constructs, there's no battery, there's no nothing. Do you remember that one? Not off the top of my head, because like I said, I have several of these of Sinestros, and I have not opened up every single Sinestro core. I have like a Mattel one that I have opened, but there was another one which I don't know. That could be the one you're talking about. I don't but but yeah, I don't I know if link. I opened it. Okay, I'll look in one second. Yeah, yeah. Uh so I think that I think that might uh, uh, that might honestly be the most recent one they made, uh, which was several years ago. Um, because this was back when they were doing them in this sort of box style. This was ra- this was no. just after the DC icons, I believe, stopped. Because that's that have- is a nice that is a nice figure. I don't have it, but yeah, that is yeah. that that at least face sculpt wise, I I kind of like I kind of like that one. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I'll I'll probably get it. Um, I think I'm taking a blackest night figure approach to. Um, these McFarland Lantern figures, like I'm not gonna get the um, what was the Alan Scott one? The first Alan Scott one McFarland came out with. What one was that called? It was like a, it was like a metal version, right, or something like that. Maybe the, I, I, yeah, I don't have it, so it probably yeah, with the flaming eyes or whatever. Like I'm not getting all of them, it's like that one. But you know, the more I add these to the collection and keep them in the box, like it reminds me of when I had the clamshells for all the Blackest Night New Guardians figures, and I had them on my wall, and they all looks so good together. And you know, the more they come out with not just green lanterns, but different colored lanterns, uh, I just get more excited. Uh, I'm I'm very excited. Hopefully, they do a White Lantern soon. I would really like to see a McFarlane White Lantern. 
um, and and see which one they end up going with. It'll probably be Batman first, but you know whatever. Well, you would think logically, it would probably. Well, see now now the door is pretty wide open because of the fact that they've done so much. They've done all, all these characters, so they could do they could do Sinestro, they could do Kyle, or they could do Batman just because they've done so many sculpts and they have them. Like, we know. It's been a while since we've had a Hal. Yeah, yeah, but they haven't done that many Hal's, and and they could could they could they do a Hal? Yeah, they could. But I'm gonna but I'm gonna guess if they're gonna do any of those, they're probably gonna do Kyle. Kyle would be easiest because they've given us so many Kyles lately, and Batman they have so many scopes, and now we know because I one way or the other I think we are getting we are getting a Sinestro in his classic blue and black uniform, which I don't really like all that much anymore. It's but so they could very easily go that route. So we'll have we'll have to see. But yeah, I mean, and they also don't forget. Uh, I, I'm still on the hunt for it. That uh, gold label uh, Target exclusive, I believe, Dead Man. They already have a Dead Man sculpt, so they could do White Lantern Dead Man. That is true. They could do that. All right. What's next? What is next? Oh, that was the that was that's for you. So you should have mm. just said the. This, this is a this is something that makes Kyle I think makes Kyle Freudian slip that makes Chad happy anyway. Um, yeah, the the rumor and everything about Doctor Strange. No, I thought we were doing the. Were we not? <laughs> were we not going to do the uh, media first? Oh, or, I. Or did I? Or, or did am I, I getting I, the order? Am I getting the order now wrong? No, it doesn't matter. I think you're probably right. Uh, I trust you because your memory is better than mine. Uh, yeah, media. Uh, so if you, mm, I think if you just go Disney Plus, they're uh, on Disney Plus dot Disney dot com. It'll tell you a bunch of stuff about everything that's out. They're going to finally do physical releases for some of this stuff. It seems like the Star Wars stuff is getting the treatment uh, as well. The Mandalorian and I think a couple other shows here and there. But Loki season one and WandaVision at as far as what's announced so far so far uh have been uh have been decided they they've released that the those first two seasons are going to get a physical media release though it does seem that they're going to be in uh steelbook form as opposed to just your standard plastic blu-ray case type thing so you know Disney making money as as Disney as Disney likes to do. I'm not mad at it, um, uh, you know. And I say I say that because like I'm a physical media fan. I um I thought I've been thinking a lot lately about like what the hell happens if Voodoo ever goes offline. Now Voodoo is owned by like Walmart and them, so like the idea of it going offline anytime soon is probably pretty foreign uh, to a lot of people. But I've spent a sig- I mean it, it not you know, all in one clip, but I've over time, I've spent a significant amount of money on voodoo um, when things go on sale and stuff to add something to my, my digital library. And, um, you know, uh, I have had uh, the opportunity and I've, I've been making a purposeful intent to purchase, uh, you know, hard copy things of a lot of, a lot of the superhero stuff. I have pretty much every, um season of all the stuff from the Arrowverse on Blu-ray. Uh there's stuff some stuff I need to catch up on. Like I think I'm missing a couple seasons of Black Lightning and and things like that. But like um you know I've got all the Marvel movies in order in release order on the shelf together so they all look cool together. And you know the look you know it it kind of sucks that 
Um, I don't have things like Loki and WandaVision and stuff like that on the shelves, but now I will. Um, and those, I believe, are supposed to be hitting shelves or uh, releasing if you can only um, buy them online or whatever. I, th- I believe it's, let's see, uh, Amazon.com, Best Buy, and Walmart uh, are, according to OnDisneyPlus.Disney.com, those are the three uh, places that you'll be able to purchase these. Um, and I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, I, I think physical media is, is a good thing. Uh, and do I actually lately physically grab a disc and put it in a disc player anymore no because most everything comes with you know a digital code now and it's so much easier to just open the apple tv put on the voodoo app and you know my redeemed copy is right there but should that ever go away or should i be in a place without internet or you know should you know there have been power outages and stuff like that before or what if the internet goes down but not the the power you know and i get want to watch something yeah, I, I think physical media should stick around. I don't like the idea that it's being wholly phased out. Uh, if it has recently, and Mark, you can talk a bit about this because it, it, there have been rumblings. I mean, there's been rumblings for years about this, but it feels like, especially lately, uh, you know, you're going into like Walmart or Best Buy, uh, and, and seeing those sections getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. It feels like, the the phase out of physical media has actually started in earnest and to see disney committing to doing this actually kind of sets my mind at ease a little bit if i'm being honest i think they're trying to hedge their bets a little bit too i think they you know obviously on many levels disney plus has not been what they wanted it to be at this stage of the game so i think they're trying to i think they're trying to encourage people to physically buy some things to to have so in case they're not going to stick around with disney plus that that they're still getting or they have no interest in buying disney plus because maybe they're only interested in something that's like they're interested in the series and they don't have they have they really have no desire or no need to keep the service over and over and over and over again so when it, they'll just buy it and, and just and for the reasons you say it, it's very very weird and it's, again it's how we get conditioned it's very weird now when when the internet goes down and I mean, we were for the longest time, we were just accustomed to the fact that, Hey, if the power goes down, you know, then you can't watch anything anyway. So it doesn't really matter. And then you're at the point where we're so dependent on the internet for streaming and watching anything that it's, it's weird, especially since I'm so used to falling asleep with something playing that it's weird with, uh, when the, for some reason, if the internet's down, they're working on something and it's like, well, it's like, yeah, I can put some physical media in depending on what it is, because if it's one of those Blu-rays that loops back to the main menu, which talks and, and goes and rotates through, then that thing will never time out. <laughs> it, it'll never time out for it to turn off because it'll never be technically inactive as opposed to some, some old school like DVD menus were pretty static. So if I think that I think. I think they're just trying to get as much money as they can, period, because they are, they're not, they're kind of hemorrhaging money left and right. So I think this is just another way I think of, because plus they know there is a market for collectors. Do they really care deep down? No, they would love to drive to just say, nope, out of luck, goodbye. But I think they know right now that that's not, we're we're not at that point yet. So I think they're going to try to mine, mine that area as much as they can to bring in more money. Yeah, um, they're supposed to, I believe, be released, like I said, at the end of September. From everything I'm looking at the packaging online, uh, I'm seeing, you know, there's Steelbooks, Collector's Edition Blu-ray. Uh, oh, there's also there's two releases, Blu-ray and there's the 4K, whatever that stuff is. 
uh, includes bonus extras and concept art cards. So there's stuff stuck in there. And I'm also looking at the back. There's some never before seen bonus extras designing the TVA gag reel and deleted scenes, the official TVA orientation video and assembled the making of Loki, a documentary, even with all like the smaller print on this, on the back of this here that I'm reading off of Walmart, I don't see anything that mentions. And obviously this is probably not surprising, but I feel it's worth mentioning. There's nothing in here that mentions that there's going to be a digital code to redeem with this stuff. Yeah. I would suspect they may yeah. very well not do that at this point. If they will. Yeah. Yeah. If they will. I mean, realistically speaking on many levels, if they wanted you to be able to get it online then they would just want you to go to Disney plus probably. Probably. Yeah, yeah probably. All right. Uh, speaking of Marvel. Yes. So now we go into. Now we go into yet another rumor about what might be happening in phases five and six related to Doctor Strange. So, so go ahead, Chad. Take this one. This one's kind of more your baby, too. Yes. Uh, so the rumor is out there that Doctor Strange and again, it's a rumor at this point. Doctor Strange is not even, I think, officially on the three he is not officially nope. on the slate or anything, anything like that. But the rumor is that it's supposed to be adapting a, a a, a specific story. I can't remember the name. I'm scrolling through our, our conversation. Oh, uh, times time runs out is a storyline that it's supposed to be um, adapting. And this is an article, I believe, that was posted initially on CBR. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, I don't want to push people to CBR right now because uh, whatever, they're pain in the ass. There's lots of stuff going on right there. We're not going to get into it. Anyways, um, essentially the uh, the premise of the times run out time runs out storyline. If I remember reading this right, is that the multiverse is dying. Um, and given the, the multiverse stuff that has been going on about uh, with Dr. Strange and everything. Um, and and not, not just Dr. Strange, but just within the MCU itself, that just kind of set me on a spiral about uh trying to figure out, you know, what this could be about other than, you know, incursions and the stuff that we've seen in this, this chapter phases four and five of the MCU and everything coming up, you know, cause because the MCU has been dealing with the multiverse stuff in those phases and not, you know, quote unquote, not before, you know, people are just taking typically seem to be taking hints and information from those two phases as opposed to the entirety of the mcu to make their predictions about where things are heading so i started digging into this a little bit more and, and the first thing i thought of was when we heard that mordo was supposed to be in the uh dr strange in the multiverse of madness it ended up not being our mordo so in a sense in a sense the end credit scene from the first Doctor Strange movie didn't play into Multiverse of Madness, at least in terms of our Mordo. So he is still out there and that, you know, quote unquote threat is still there. And then it got me thinking about Doctor Strange as a whole, too. And I started pulling I went through and I remembered some stuff and I pulled some quotes when Doctor Strange first meets up with the Ancient One in Carmitage. And I have the quote in front of me. She says, the language of the mystic arts is as old as civilization. The sorcerers of antiquity called the use of this language spells. But if that, word's offend, if that word offends your modern sensibilities, you can call it program. The source code that shapes reality. 
We harness energy drawn from other dimensions of the multiverse to cast spells, conjure shields, and weapons to make magic. Okay? So, if they're harnessing energy, and, and Mark and I, when we were going back and forth with this, he mentioned it's it's a, it's a very Robert Venditti emotional reservoir uh, take on this. If they're harnessing energy drawn from other dimensions of the multiverse, and the rumor is that Doctor Strange 3 is supposed to adapt Time Runs Out storyline, which has to deal with the death of the multiverse, is it possible that not just Doctor Strange... But magicians and magic are partially, if if not wholly, responsible for the decay of the multiverse. It's it's possible. And then I throw in the end credit scene of the first Doctor Strange movie, because Mordo literally says when he confronts that guy who was playing basketball, he used magic to heal his back and all that stuff. And and he's like, you know, taking the magic out of him, essentially, he says because I see at long last what's wrong with the world. Too many sorcerers. And that just caught me thinking about like, what if this is actually all connected? You know, magic and magicians are wholly and or responsibly or partially responsible for the death of the multiverse, uh, for the incursions that are happening. Now, magic is not necessarily involved in things like um, Spider-Verse uh, as well as, I mean, you can make the case maybe Loki, but, you know, TVA. But then there's also the idea that, you know, any sufficiently advanced technology would be indistinguishable from magic, which plays in it. Mark mentioned to me, you know, it was name dropped or that was a line that was kind of adapted in the first Thor movie, stuff like that. So advanced science is at play in some of these other uses of the multiverse travel. So what if magic slash advanced science itself is responsible for the death of the multiverse as opposed to like Kang or something like that, or just Kang alone. Right. Because it's because there's, because you could have both pieces of the puzzle fit together because you could have, if you, if you buy into the fact that whether there's just one part of the multiverse, one universe in the multiverse, or could be several, but let's say, say there's one, one part of the multiverse in particular that everybody draws the, that is like the emotional spectrum for magic and that all sorcerers, even if they don't understand, realize it, they're all tapping into the same basic pool to get their power from. And maybe it's not, and maybe it's not like the emotional reservoir where it's limited. Maybe it's not limited. Maybe it is unlimited in theory, but maybe something has happened to that universe because of Kang or, and which, so that, that pool is gone and they're actually draining it now without realizing it. They're just, that has to come from somewhere and they're just basically sucking the life out of other parts of the multiverse that were never really designed to, uh, for that purpose. So that's, so it's a possibility that these things can overlap. My biggest, honestly, my biggest doubt about whether any of this is true is the fact that number one, yes, we do, we, we do not, we do not have any confirmation that there's Dr. Strange three has even been greenlit yet. We already know based on the backlog of what's coming and, and the whole and the writer's strike and the uh, act, the, the SAG strike, that that's going to probably still cause more ripple effects on release schedules and pushing things back. They were already pushed back because of COVID and everything else that it's kind of hard on one level just to imagine this, even if it's going to be true, because because the odds are if we're going to get this, we're, t- well, we're already in 2020, 
we're in 2023, right? So the odds are the earliest we could even see anything like this would probably be 2025. And it's, I, I just have doubt because there's so much crap that's supposed to, hopefully not literally, that still still has to come out. We don't even have the Fantastic Four friggin' announced yet. All this stuff. And to now, unless the asterisk is, unless it's because they, they are reshuffling the deck and moving away from the from Kang to a certain extent, not necessarily because of Jonathan Majors, but just because they've kind of real the, the backlash to quantum mania and just other feedback that people are not, they don't feel confident that that is the right tack to keep going, to keep using to steer phase five into phase six, that they may feel that they have to change things up. And this might be their way of doing it where they can still somehow have Kang factor into it, but it's, but it's not, uh, but it's not as highly critical or maybe in their own way. This is the way, this is a way to solve the Kang problem potentially because of magic and Depends what their goal is too. If they're, but yeah, yeah. I just thought you know something. I thought I wanted to 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 think on because it you know this happens to me a lot. Something will happen. It'll trigger a, uh, my mind to start spinning its wheels, and then all of a sudden, Mark gets several paragraphs worth of worth of information from me, and you know <laughs> he has to tell me to shut up and reel it in. <laughs> and I mean, it's an it's an it's an interesting topic. There's no doubt that it's an interesting topic. And would I would I be would I be against them doing a Doctor Strange this way, focusing on something, assuming it was done better than Multiverse of Madness was? No, I wouldn't. Do I like the idea that somehow magic itself is causing the multiverse alone to fall apart? No, I actually don't like that idea very much. Hmm. Uh, it would be. I mean, there's more than a little irony to it because, you know, Doctor Strange using his abilities and everything else. uh that certainly factored into us being able to defeat Thanos and even in the multiverse of madness and, and what the, we were the, the, what did the, did they call us the six one six or were they were the eight one eight or whatever it was, but either way, uh, the other, yeah. there's also, there's also the de- designation that across the spider verse gave it. So yeah, that's true. Cause they're, they're not universal that the, no. the, the universe that strange ends up in that one, uh, that they obviously that using magic was kind of important in trying in f- beating Thanos and that, and that universe too. So there is, there, there it would, it, there would be some commonality to it. I don't necessarily think it's a hard, it, it, you couldn't make it work, but based on the way they've been going down, the, my lack of overall faith in the MCU right now makes me a little reluctant to go, to go down that road. And it might be too much of a dr- dramatic shift for people to buy into but if it's done well i think people could get them could get on board with it yeah for sure and speaking of films oh yes i almost forgot that that was our topic blue beetle which actually chad actually has seen too so we're kind of up to date on this one for the most part we're not going to spend too much time on blue beetle i i enjoyed it i can understand some aspects maybe because of the humor uh so much humor that people may not have liked it but then again it's kind of nice seeing him seeing a, a dc movie that's more upbeat even though there are obviously dark elements in this movie as well but it's also an it's also a movie not that i'm a big blue beetle fan but it's a movie that certainly does a fairly decent job of respecting the history of the character that even though you're starting with the third blue beetle you obviously get a lot of references and reverence to both the previous two blue beetles and 
I thought for the most part, the cast was good. Yeah, George Lopez was a bit over the top. Funny at times, but over the top. I thought it was effective. I thought it was good. I think it, it, this is another DC movie, I think, that deserved better from a box office perspective. That it, that it, but, but you knew it was good. You, but you knew it was, this was going to happen. I think, and I'll talk a little bit more about that after you give your, your thoughts. So I don't want to just go off too much on that. No, you're good. Um, I really enjoyed it. There, I have some problems with it in terms of, I think it would largely be encapsulated under kind of like a suspension of disbelief sort of a thing. Uh, things happen very quickly in this film. Um, people adjust to things very quickly as being the new quote unquote, the new norm. Um, his family getting involved in quote unquote being, you know, just regular citizens taking up arms and helping him with this fight and, you know, breaching a compound and stuff like that. Uh, does seem to happen a little too easily for people in that type of a situation. You know, you, uh, you know, the stuff with the grandmother, for instance, was very yes. funny. Um, but, yeah. but also, you know, you know, you go, you go the whole like, you know, her participating in her younger years in some sort of revolutions and stuff like that. That's, that's cool. And, you know, even, even plausible given the history and, and her age and stuff like that. Um, but it's still like, you know, would that, you know, again, under the heading of suspension of disbelief. Um, so it seems some things happen a little too quickly, a little lots too of co- Lots of coincidences. Lots yeah. of coincidences. Yeah, a little too conveniently. But overall, and I think that's I think that's the mark of a good uh, a good film and a good uh, good creative team writer, a director and stuff like that is if you can have those sorts of well, that really doesn't make a lot of sense but still be like you know what who gives a shit this is fun i enjoy it uh and i think there's a lot to be said for that so as much as you can nitpick this if you still like enjoyed it like the way you did it's like you know or the way i did i was like you know what that's that in and of itself is the mark of a good film and i enjoyed it and I, i said so on facebook and i won't read the whole thing i posted but you know i grew up in central texas uh my entire life and hispanic culture is uh, it's it's ubiquitous down here. It's a part of my everyday life. I see it all the time. I grew up around Hispanic people, um, and it's uh, you know the the celebrations and the holidays and and just kind of being immersed in it is is kind of everyday down here. So when I went to and the reason I went to go see it is because like movie day or something. It was like a four dollar ticket to go see it, you know. So I went to go see it and. The, the film, uh, the, the theater was pretty packed and it was largely Hispanic crowd and they did, they gave that movie a standing ovation at the end of it. Uh, and my, actually, as we record this, my, my half brother's birthday is, uh, this coming Saturday. Uh, when I realized how important that movie was to everybody in that, uh, theater and how much I enjoyed it and knowing how much I'm the kind of ambassador for comic books in my own family. Uh, I realized uh, I'm going to go get my little brother a uh, a Blue Beetle action figure. So I went and grabbed him one of those, you know, really sturdy, not a whole lot of articulation, $10 toys that they put out lately for DC of Blue Beetle. And that'll be one Ted of the Court. gifts I give him. Ted Court. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, no, I, I, re- I really enjoyed it. And um, I thought it was done very well, despite the uh, the problems I did have with it. Yeah, it was good. I think. I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm glad to see Zolo there, and I never can pronounce his last name, uh, from Cobra Kai. I thought he would do a good job with this. I think he, he's got it. If you, anybody who watched Cobra Kai knows that, you know, Miguel there as his character, he has it. And 
I certainly don't. I certainly think it played on the big screen fine. So people that were concerned about, oh, it was a, it was a Max movie brought to, brought to the big screen, and it might look at it. it's like, no, I think that, I think that that certainly played like a theatrical release for the most part. I do think this movie deserved better across the board. Now financially, it's obviously not doing particularly well. It didn't have a, a particularly sizable opening. It was like about twenty five million. It beat Barbie for what it's worth, finally. But I do think even even the way people were approaching that, the analysis on that, I think were was a little harsh. They were the projections for this movie before it opened were like somewhere like in thirty two, thirty five million dollar range. But they were, and this is the part that I, I find interesting because it's almost like a, an oxymoron. They were counting on this movie doing thir- doing that amount of money partially because they thought this movie was going to overperform with the Hispanic audience. In a, in a way that I guess they assumed it would still continue to do perform as well with the rest of the demographics, but it was going to overperform or outperform with the Hispanic community. And thus it was going to be able to hit that number that normally they probably didn't think it could hit, which is so much of it's a little bit of a like I said, it's a little bit of an oxymoron or a, almost like a paradox, because it's like if you're calling for this to happen, it is it really overperforming. I understand the demographically, I understand the concept, but it's like if you're actually factoring factoring that into the numbers you're expecting this movie to do, then it's not really overperforming. Then is it? If it hit, if it hit that number, it's like you're you're because you're kind of assuming that it's going to do that. And it and it did. It had a higher percentage of Hispanic people going to see it, but it didn't have an impact in the box office. And I think that probably because there just wasn't a, a huge interest in going to see this movie, and that's unfortunate. But again, it, that's understandable too because you had. It's a it's a C tier C tier character, even though and again, assuming he sticks to his no pun intended guns, that James Gunn has said that Blue Beetle is going to be part of the new DC universe. So but so many of the movies have come out recently in the DCU and we know Aquaman technically does not, as far as we know, is not really going to take place in the new DCU. That it was really easy for people to just write this off and say, well, it's another inconsequential movie. In a, de- in a dead universe so why why should we you know why should we go see it and i think and i also think that the criticism about its opening weekend was a little unfair too because of the fact that this was a movie that like a month ago was only tracking to do 18 million so the fact that it even was in a po- there even was a possibility this movie could do in the 30s when a month ago it was only tracking for 18 i think and you have to give credit where credit's due too. It's like this movie didn't cost as much as some of these other DC movies. So while it's still probably going to lose money, the reality is they obviously had confidence in this movie for a reason based on the quality of it to take it off of Max and and release it. And I don't think they spent a whole lot of money on uh, honestly on publicity for this movie on the advertising. It didn't seem it. So I don't. This may not be a movie that in theory needed to get to make three times its production budget back in order to make a come close to making a profit anyway this might have been something that they figured you know we'll spend like you know we'll spend maybe like 10 or 12 million dollars maybe maybe 25 million dollars promoting this movie worldwide and then just whatever money we get back you know we just think it's probably worth the investment but i i think it was good i look forward to i look forward to watching it when it's on max i've watched the flash several times since it's already been on so i do i I don't think the quality of their movies has been that horrible this year, even though, you know, Shazam two was okay, but it still wasn't horrible. It didn't deserve, you know, the fate that it did from the from a pure box office perspective. I just think people don't know what to make of yeah, the DCEU. I, 
I mean, right now on uh, my Rotten Tomatoes, it's got a 78% tomato meter and 92% audience score. Yeah. So that that's pretty good. Um, I would, I mean, I know it opened on the 18th, but I would be very curious to see how it performs next weekend. Uh, because if National Cinema Day, which was the 27th when I went to go see it, um, you know, drew the types of audiences that, you know, like my showing did, uh, that's probably its best bet in terms of word of mouth, getting word because, I mean, with SAG and Afro and everything still going on, I just think that, you know, word of mouth is really the only way something like this is going to spread because there's not a lot of advertising. And um, it dropped 51 percent, which really isn't which really isn't so bad. So yeah. Pro. So. I just I just be curious to see how it does next weekend. Uh, it's, uh, for those of you listening at home, that would be the first uh, weekend in September. So well, for Labor um, Day to see if it does yeah. anything over Labor Day. It's yeah, made, over, it, over Labor Day and that combined with following National Cinema Day and the potential word of mouth people who saw it. Oh, I got you. Weekend, for, yeah, yeah. So, so so far, you know, the movie's made about the movie hasn't made a lot. Period. It's made like eighty. It's worldwide. It's only made like eighty two three so that's so that's that's not good and even based on the production budget which was still 120 so the reality is it's definitely it's it's definitely shaping up to be you know a box office loser there's no doubt about that that it's almost it's pretty pretty much unavoidable that that's going to happen but the question but again the question does come it does come down really i think to how much they spent on marketing this movie because of the fact that they already, if they really spend 120 million dollars to make this movie, to, and with all along with the with the logic during the entire time they were making it that it was going straight onto Max, then obviously they're not. It, it didn't cost them extra money from a production perspective to put it in the theater. The question is how much they spent to market it, and does that basically what they end up making worldwide more more than cover the you know the marketing cost, and get, then it probably still would be worth it for them. So it would be different if this was just a th- made for theatrical release and they and then you could say, oh, yeah, this is this is going this is like shaping up to be a massive, massive bomb. But concerning they wouldn't have gotten any money really from it if they put it on Max directly. That yeah. that's what you, I think you have to the, the X factor in this, too. All right. On to the topic of the night. Yes. The main course. All right, guys, we're going to be taking a look tonight at uh, Superman issue 247. Uh, and looks just like the, let's see, copyright on this puts it in 1972, January 1972. This is going to be starting a new series on the show. And, um, I kind of like it because, um, I'm excited about it for several reasons. One, because it gives us an opportunity to branch out into the rest of the DCU. Um, and it gives us some, um, you know, kind of content to reach for whenever we're not quite sure what to record uh, for a given week. You know, sometimes we talk about, you know, if there's enough trailer news or release information, but not a new issue of Green Lantern or something like that, you know, we have enough stuff out there to kind of stitch an episode together. Um, But when we have subjects like this, we can kind of just reach out and it gives us an opportunity to just, Hey, let's do another one of those. Uh, And, and and it's easy to pull from. Uh, and and to, to do that, let me just explain to you the idea I had behind uh, Emerald Influence, and that's what we're going to be calling this. Basically, you know, in, in one of our one of our two promos that released for the podcast that you sometimes hear on other other comics podcasts these days, we talk about how the history of the DC universe is the history of Green Lantern. It's so pervasive in DC comics that you know it it has touch points virtually everywhere. This gives us an opportunity to prove that because there are lots of issues where Green Lantern shows up or concepts from Green Lantern show up in issues like tonight, 
of Superman. Uh, I've got another thing here. I, you know, cause I've recently pulled everything Green Lantern related for my collection and in, in, in preparation to migrate things into drawer boxes. Uh, in the nineties, when we had, uh, that new Aztec, the ultimate man series issue two had a Green Lantern appearance. Uh, Anarchy, you know, uh, had some Green Lantern stuff in his early issues. Um, uh, there's a, there's a bunch of things out there where Green Lantern has a prominent thing, uh, a prominent appearance, but it's not necessarily a Green Lantern issue. Uh, I'm thinking when Kyle first appeared, wasn't there an issue of Superman um, where those two met for the first time in that? As a, or was it the first or second time, or was it somehow tied into the issue of Green Lantern? If if it was, it was the second time because Superman yeah. obviously showed up in what 51 and 52. Right. Okay. But um, yeah, just the. Uh, and, and yeah, check out the album art for this particular, uh, for this particular uh, episode. It's over on lanterncast.com. I made a title graphic and everything mimicking the font that was on like the Jeff Johns Green Lantern series and stuff like that. And, um, but anyways, tonight we're talking about Superman 247 and, um, it is significant for a number of reasons. One of which is Superman is, is constipated. <laughs> uh, it is the first, it is the first Superman issue written by Elliot S. Magan. Uh, and Elliot S. Magan is one of the, is probably if you were to list a top five Superman, or not top five, uh, top 10 Superman writers, I would, as, I would venture to assume that Elliot S. Magan would be in there. If you were to list a top five Superman writers before John Byrne, you know, but pre John Byrne era, not including writers, including John Byrne or post John Byrne, uh, Elliot S. Magan would definitely be in the top five. Um, but this is the, the first issue he wrote of Superman. Uh, so it really kind of kicks off the tone for, uh, his Superman issues moving beyond. And there, herein is a story that we get called Must There Be a Superman? Uh, and not only is it by Elliot S. Magan, it is, uh, art by both the two legends, Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson. And it's edited by my hero, Julie Schwartz. So we open with a very familiar scene. A DC Comics hero pulled in front of a, the Guardians of the Universe to be admonished for something. <laughs> um, they are accusing him of crimes against humanity. Um, but, you know, that's kind of our... You know, as of the era of the 60s and the 70s, there's there's the cover and then the interior first page is always kind of like a second cover. Um, so we are not starting off in front of the Guardians. We're actually starting off in space um, where a bunch of spores are going through the galaxy and are going to be hard. And I'm not going to recap the details, the details of everything in here, um, but. You know, there's some spores. It's a threat. Superman deals with it, uh, gets everything out of the way uh, and, um, you know, kind of essentially turns this thing into its own planet of spores. Um, but he passes out from the exertion of this. Kat Matui rescues him and brings him to the Guardians of the Universe on Oa. Uh, and there they um, kind of recharge him and put him in kind of a sick bay stasis which looks to be inside the central power battery itself, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so they, they, he undergoes some healing and they start, they talk to him and say, uh, so they, they start implanting in his subconscious, a notion that his influence on earth is interfering with human progress. He then wakes up 
they start talking to him and explain where he is and everything that's going on. They say things like, we've always respected you. Uh, nonetheless, your interference with human social growth. And he's like, well, what are you talking about? And he's surely you must realize that your presence on Earth directly contributes to the Terrans cultural lag. And they keep kind of nagging him a little bit about this. Like they they're having a kind of standard conversation, but they keep kind of, you know, with the, su- the subconscious implant that he's doing too much on Earth. And there's little jabs here and there. They're essentially talking to him about his how much he's interfering with human life. And they give an example. And they said the your, your warning to the Kalarians, which are the people he's protecting from these spores. He says they say, Superman, you can save our planet. He says, you missed the point. Uh, you'll never solve the problem by handing it to somebody else. My colleagues and I will restore the C- your C's ecology. But whatever we can do is only temporary. You must face your own problems, right? You're thinking of how and why you pollute your planet, even as we must do on Earth, right? So the Guardians release him, and he's like, wait, have I? For years, I've been playing Big Brother to the human race. Where, where have I been going wrong? Like, what have I been doing? He comes down uh, onto the planet Earth. Uh, over central California, and he sees a a man in an orchard kind of slapping around one of his migrant workers. He interferes in that, pulls him away, and then because Superman's there, all of a sudden the migrant workers have some a little bit more backbone, and they start going up against you know their yeah, you know, their employer or whatever, and saying you know hey you should you should really sock it to them and and stuff like that, and then. He comes down into kind of the the community and everything, the shacks and everything that these migrant workers have built. And now everybody swarms him is like, hey, you can now you can you know rebuild our houses and make everything great for us. And then all of a sudden an earthquake hits, which then destroys his out these houses. So he's in the middle of trying to make a point that they need to help themselves. But an earthquake hits, he goes down to stop it. Of course their houses are destroyed, so he rebuilds them for him. And then he says Let's get something straight. I rebuilt your homes, yes, but that's because there's an earthquake. It's something you can't handle, something you can't safeguard yourselves against. But you must not count on a Superman to patch up your lives every time you have a crisis or a disaster. Young Manuel here, he has the right idea. When the rest of you back down to Harley, Manuel refused to knuckle under. You don't need a Superman. What you really need is a super will to be guardians of your own destiny. You know, and he leaves and... And give some people something to think about. And then he's thinking about, you know, further thinking about his own involvement in the human race and the guardians watching all of this on one of their universal monitors that they, they can see everything going on across, uh, across space. Black screen is, TVs. Yeah. Cal is troubled somewhat by an idea that never crossed his mind before. The fact that people of earth must pro- progress unaided from by outside from other worlds. Then our task is done. We must let time take its course. And then that ends and we jump into a new series um, called The Private Life of Clark Kent, which was written by Denny O'Neill. And we're not going to talk about that or anything, but I just thought that was interesting to uh, talk about. Because as a matter of fact, The Private Life of Clark Kent and then uh, a reprint of an old uh, Superman issue, which I think was from Action Comics. No, Superman. Those two combined, Private Life of Clark Kent and that reprint take up more space in this issue itself than the story we just read. But this uh, particular series, this particular issue is pretty notable because not only is it Elliot S. Magan's first uh, uh, writing on Superman, uh, start of his iconic, uh, you know, some would consider iconic run on Superman, um, but also one of the first times 
we deal with the idea in in story that Superman is doing too much, that humanity has come to rely too much on Superman, uh, and that uh, there are some things Superman should or shouldn't do. And we'll get into other references to this story in other media uh, a little later. But, Mark, what do you think? Typical Guardians. No one's playing God except us. <laughs> no, <laughs> there, there's a philosophical point to to this. And they, they ha- considering when the story was, they handled it pretty well. It's 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 basically, yes, if, if there are things that human beings can't really handle on their own, then Superman is it's OK for Superman to step in and Superman can feel comfortable stepping in. But if it's the day the day to day things, it's like it, as you know, Superman points out, basically, it's like it, no, 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 nobody else. Nobody else had the balls to say anything or to stand up to even help Manuel when he was getting his ass kicked until Superman shows up and everybody's like, kick his ass, Superman. <laughs> so I, I, th- I think, I think that it's an, it's a, they handle this well in the story. I think it's an interesting philosophical point. Like we talk about, it relates to different things. Like we saw in Matt in, uh, well, in BBS, right. That the idea that what is it, what does it mean for us as a people if there's somebody there who just can always save us all the time, do we the natural tendency of, of human beings to fall in line with saviors and and leaders and people who seem to have all the answers and just blind blindly follow them and the negative aspects of the, the only thing that's shaky from a story perspective is, again, you know, the guardians are, are playing head games and not even like not even. Uh, like doing reverse psychology, they are literally doing like you know subliminal psychological implants in, in Superman in a way to try to get him to planting, literally planting a seed of doubt in him to make him re-examine himself in a way that he never thought before. That so it is typical Guardians because they're because they they have a they have a design and they're going to make sure if, if the best of their ability things are going to play out according to their playbook. So they it's like they don't really trust necessarily that superman if they sat down and talked to superman one-on-one and, re- and had, a, had laid out all their evidence that, that superman would necessarily 100 percent realize this on his own and do what they wanted so it's like let's kind of like plant this in there so there's there's this little doubt almost like almost like the parallax from the battery talking and retcon wise talking to hal uh before emerald twilight just planting that seed and reaching kind of like reaching out and subtly influencing what he's doing and so that's the part of it that it's not it's not like it's inappropriate from the perspective based on their overall behavior it's it's typical of their behavior is it really appropriate behavior for the guardians and should they be doing stuff like that that's where it kind of gets debatable yeah yeah you mentioned batman versus superman there's a whole there's that whole kind of a montage scene um that we get in batman versus superman where we see like him saving some people from a flood water, him descending upon, I think some people during a fire during Dia de los Muertos or something like that. And the crowd reaching out to him and it's kind of interspersed with news clips and interviews. And we see uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about how Superman's existence makes us question our own place in the universe and stuff like that. And what's her, I, I forget the character's name and even the actress, the woman who's like the Senator who's like heading all of the, the hearings and stuff like that. Um, she's being interviewed by kind of like a Dan rather type or whatever. And, and he's, you know, saying, so what are we talking about here? Must there be a Superman? And her response is there is, um, and must there be a Superman comes from this. It comes from this issue. 
And I think what's very important about this is, is also it's, it, it, you know, we talk about, you know, yeah, you talked a little bit about how it's done in a, in a sort of, you know, the, the, the kind of counterpoints that you can make to this and how it's done in an interesting way. And definitely a very of the times way, but you have to remember, and I don't mean, I'm not speaking to you, but people at home, this is done in, what did I say? January of 1972. That's it's on sale date. I believe uh, I forget if the internal uh, copyrights are, are, are uh, published publication dates or on sale dates. But anyways, um, early seventies, and Superman issues and stuff like that before then, and not just Superman, but Batman issues and stuff like that before. And you're getting stories like, you know, the many rainbow suits of Batman or the S- Superman issues where like Superman is like speed eating a billion hamburgers or something on the cover. I, that one always sticks out in my mind. I had that issue. Was, that was act, was that super? That was a, that was action for some reason. I think it might have been action. I, I could be wrong. I think so. I, I remember that cover very vividly. I've never actually owned it, but I've seen it enough times. I remember it vividly. But that's like the stories of the era. It's very campy. You know, the, the traditional camp that you get in comics comes from the 60s and stuff like that. So the 70s is starting to turn around. And, you know, we get that with like, you know, the Green Lantern, Green Arrow 76 and stuff like that also happening in the early to mid 70s. But you're starting to see these changes happen in comics. And and this is this isn't this isn't like one of this is the if not the first, you know, of three or something times we get this idea kind of planted in times like we talk about like how this is something that we've been um we've we've been talking about for uh, a long time in terms of it's a storyline and things like that addressed in in various media that we've gotten over the years uh for superman and stuff it's it's not a new concept to us in the now nowadays but this is one of the first times it's introduced in story uh and it's where it's come from because there's actually another reference to this if you go to the you know the classic now classic kingdom come you see a bunch of people reaching for a magazine uh, called newsstand and on it is, you know, an article and everything about Magog and everything that's happening in kingdom come, but on it is a big ass S shield. And the article is, must there be a Superman? So this thing has been referenced, uh, you know, and, and kind of mimic and aped within DC itself for years and years and years and I would I would venture to say um, in Superman Returns, the article that Lois wrote while Superman was off world, why the world doesn't need a Superman is kind of a reference to this. So I think I think it's very interesting. Um, you know, uh, I think even even things like the concept of Lex Luthor's whole, you know, reason that he purports, at least for being again anti-superman is that you know hey if if you weren't here people would learn to stand on their own comes from this so um the fact that uh the story you know this this really key point that we seem to circle back to ever since in superman stories you know we, we we circle back to touch on it every now and again started here and it started because of the guardians uh i think that's really cool it is uh even even with them being the manipulative little bastards that they are. Uh, Holly Hunter was the one who played the Senator. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. And just briefly going back to something you said before, anarchy was still a better green lantern than Simon Baz. That's all I have to say. <laughs> uh, those, those issues are really good. So yeah, I, it, it is an interesting 
it is an interesting point about people become people becoming too reliant and which is when you think about it as a micro as a microcosm it's we see that's true without there being a superman it's true in everybody's life that everybody needs help everybody needs a support mechanism but if every single thing you needed done you never could do on your own or you never attempted to do on your own then you're kind of losing out on that too on some levels it seems like yeah that's great i would never have to worry about doing this or doing that but you end up learning a lot and you end up growing a lot by 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 stretching out reaching out and doing things that maybe you didn't think you could do and maybe the first time you don't do it successfully you don't do it well but then you do it again and again and you get better at it so but you would have never tried if there were somebody that was more experienced or naturally better at it you would just say hey you're good at this could you do that that there's a certain element just of human development that it's a fine line you want it it's like you want a support mechanism but you still want it but you still should be able to at least try to do something on your own and if you had someone like superman around it's like there's not much of a motivation to ever try to do it on your own because it's like oh he'll take care of it and he'll do it so much faster and better than we will so yeah no 100 percent so yeah, I think I think this is a good start for for Emerald Influence. Uh, there's I th- I think actually, hmm, if I remember right, that backup story with Tomar Ray, where we learned that Tomar what Tomar Ray was doing the day that Krypton exploded, I'm pretty sure that also was an Elliot S. Magan story. Um, right. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. It could be. I did say yeah. it. I did send you a picture. I'm not sure if you looked at it yet. It's not yeah, I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he gave me the issue number. What was it? Uh, five, four, four, four fifty four. Yeah. Of action comics with the, with the McDonald's knockoff when he's shoving the burgers down his throat. Yeah. Some, somewhere downstairs in a, in my, in my tubbo comics, I, I, it's not bagged or anything, but I know I do. I do have that issue because you're right. It, it not because it, it, it's fantastic necessarily art or, but it's iconic just because it's something it if you've seen once you see it, you can't unsee it. One of those kind of covers. No. Yeah. No. A hundred percent. Yes. OK. Sorry. Uh, I, I was I was it. Uh, so Superman issue 257. Uh, so 10 issues later, there's uh, a backup um, where it's called The Fabulous World of Krypton by Elliot Asmagan from an idea by Neil Adams, uh, we, which is the story we get of what happened uh, to Tomar Ray the day Krypton exploded, since he's the Green Lantern that was supposed to be guarding that sector of space at that time. Um, so, yeah, um, that could be another thing we talk about down the line. Now, it doesn't have to be as pivotal as as this story that we're talking about tonight. Uh, it can be just other appearances of Green Lantern in other in other media. I'm also thinking of like uh, on top of the top of my head, a few issues later, I think there's a, another Superman issue which I don't know why it's been more expensive recently. I'll have to dig into that actually, but the cover is Superman kneeling on the ground, kissing star Sapphire's boot. Um, yeah. I don't remember that one. Yeah. So I think that one's out there too. Um, not too long ago, I got an issue of wonder woman from the nineties where wonder woman has to fight Sinestro. Um, uh, late nineties, early two thousands, I think, um, that I'd never seen before. So stuff like that guys, uh, I think in, basically anything that's not a proper Green Lantern title that had a a cool Green Lantern story in, involved in it randomly. I, I remember um, 
there was some stuff happening during the Kyle Rayner era where like he would appear like we mentioned anarchy and Aztec and stuff like that. He would cross over obviously with the Titans and some of that stuff too. But there were also like a, there was a random issue of Superboy where he showed up and there was a random issue of Aquaman where Kyle showed up and stuff like that. That's going to be basically what Emerald influence is. Our excuse to talk about Green Lantern appearances in titles other than Green Lantern throughout history. So. It'll give us the excuse to finally do the Doomsday Annual too. <laughs> That's true. I was gonna let you say that. Yes. I, I just I got my I got my graphic novel actually yesterday, the Superman Doomsday Collection, which is it's actually interesting because even be, beyond the Doomsday Annual, that there's even the Doomsday Wars. It's kind of interesting because we could theoretically touch that upon that at some point too, because not only is Kyle actually in it. But there's a but there's a direct reference there's a direct how reference to it related to basically how they're able to pluck Doomsday from the end from the from uh the end of time from like entropy taking and destroying the universe that somehow uh, that's kind of laid at the feet of Hal to a certain extent so I think that was that was kind of interesting but it's yeah the the grit I mean the Doomsday Annual is pretty fantastic just as a whole but there but there is a very relevant green lantern story re- related to doomsday and his power set and the guardians and everything in that story in that so that's definitely one that we, we will cover because it's a it's a cool standalone story too besides like i said the whole annual is pretty if you're a doomsday fan that that year one doomsday annual was pre- was pretty fantastic it's funny you mentioned that because actually um this this week actually um action comics presents doomsday special came oh, out this week. Oh, this week? As in mm-hmm. good cuz I want to get to my I want that, but that's really is that expensive? It is, isn't uh, it? Uh it's it's going to be an oversized issue. So, yeah, so it's um uh this list is Doomsday Rules in Hell. It is a creature beyond reason and on, the only force in the universe strong enough to kill Superman. It's Doomsday, the living embodiment of death, destruction and evolution. In the wake of dark crisis in Lazarus planet, King's King Doomsday now sits on a throne of skulls across a river of blood, oh, holding okay, court one. over the demons that swarm the depths of hell. <laughs> so All right, good. so I, I... I saw, I've been putting off getting to my comic store forever because there's always something that gets in the way. So I will yeah. I will make a concerted effort to go down and and uh, but 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 the cover date says October for that. The yeah. action com- the action comics students day special. Yeah, he action comics. Yeah. yeah, he who he who rules in hell. Yeah, hold on. Let me let me make sure. No, you're right. Fine. Well, that said, the final order cutoff was August six, but maybe you're but maybe. The cover date's October, so maybe it could be released. And maybe it could be it could no, be coming out. August August twenty ninth. Okay, cool. So mm-hmm. yeah, I will, I will, I will definitely. Yeah, I'm I'm a Doomsday guy, and and th- this Doomsday graphic novel is pretty good because it has the Hunter Prey miniseries, which is pretty fantastic by itself, and it has the Doomsday Year One Annual, and then it has the uh, the Doomsday Wars, which is the one involving Brainiac. And do uh so that one that one's that one's pretty cool so that yeah yeah also this week uh, uh in terms of something that could be appearing someday but probably a very far away day uh under emerald influence Nort's illustrated swimsuit edition oh my God. <laughs> comes out this week <laughs> oh my god <laughs> but, but yeah i will i will definitely go pick up a uh, cover artist jorgens that's a oh but night night terrors ended i think because um, I think it was a four issue main series, but there were also there was a there was an uh, kind of an alpha and omega issue. So 
Um, yeah, Night Terrors Night's End came out this week, so the the oversized finale issue. So Night yeah, Terrors may- is officially over. Yeah, maybe I'll flip through that too. Uh, I don't know how much stuff is waiting for me, but we know the all the green we know all the Green Lantern issues pretty much should be waiting for me, uh, which aren't many, but it's probably at least four. <laughs> I don't think I've, I don't think I've been there since the first issue of the new series came out. So, but uh, yeah, cool. All right. Well, if people want to reach out to us, how do they do so? Now that the we- now that the website isn't broken anymore, <laughs> <laughs> at least we got it. At least we if we have uh. SSL now, so HTTPS for those people that were having getting those error messages. I think clicking on the links, they probably won't get that anymore. Uh, lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag geocast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and and isn't today the last day for Stitcher? <laughs> we're yeah. <getting> clear. <laughs> yeah. So that, as they hear this, Stitcher is no more. Yeah. So we'll have to see if uh, and who owns Stitcher. I don't. I think XM. But either way, so we'll we'll leave Stitcher out. This will be our last Stitcher plug for a while, like ever. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a text or a voicemail, seven zero eight Lantern, and let us know what you think. Uh, yeah. One real quick thing I wanted to mention. You know, I'm the one who's usually over on our Twitter stuff, and uh, as much as I don't like um uh the man in charge over there, Mr. Musk, uh, I it feels of recent things are. Things are more than ever not looking very good over there. So if you can find us on threads, uh, do so. Cause, um, look, I'm not saying I'm pulling the plug over on Twitter just yet, but uh, it, it feels like the end is nigh, uh, more so than, uh, it has in, in recent past. So find us on threads or any of the other places that you can find us. I am looking into blue sky because, you know, there's so many things that pop up in response to the potential downfall of, uh, of Twitter that, you know, the various options, nothing has made its, its, uh, its head above water in a significant enough way to know what, you know, quote unquote, the next Twitter is. Um, so I'm still looking into it. Uh, maybe by the time you guys hear it, we'll hear this, we'll have an account over on blue sky. But if you guys, if you, if you're over on threads or over on blue sky, try and give us a look up over there because, uh, we may be no more on Twitter soon-ish. So just wanted to throw that out there. Gotcha. It happens. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.